Good afternoon. Welcome to this week's edition of Navarra FM. I'm Aaron Bastani, at Aaron Bastani on Twitter. As ever, I'm joined by James Butler, at Pierce Penniless. Hi, James. <laughs> As ever, you can follow today's discussion on Twitter, hashtag Navarra FM. Otherwise, stay in touch by liking us on Facebook or simply by going on the site where this show will soon be available. That's www.navarramedia.com. You can find our other offerings, including the BuzzFeed of the left, Navarra Wire. Good article on James Meek just up. Check that out. Um, and why not check out my weekly internet TV extravaganza, IMO with Aaron Bastani. That's available both on the website and on our YouTube channel. I naturally recommend subscribing. As ever, thanks for listening. Podemos, We Can, was founded in January 2014 with pretensions of breaking the two-party system that has prevailed in Spanish politics since the demise of the Francoist regime and its transition to democracy in 1982. The political backdrop for their rise will be familiar to many across Europe. Since the crisis, particularly Spanish electoral politics has been dominated by sold-out socialists, the PSOE, and a supposedly centre-right party, the Partido Popular, that has won too many historic links to Francoist dictatorship. These parties have together been dubbed the PP. PSOE by Spain's post-crisis social movements. That is the introduction of a fascinating essay by Tom Young, one of Navarra Wire, that looks at the rise of Podemos. Check it out if you can. It's been tweeted by Johan Hari, oh Occupy Wall Street, You Can Cut, you name it. All our best friends. Um, actually, that's OWS and Uncut are our friends. Hari. Mm. Um, so check that out if you can. It's getting a lot of it's getting a lot of attention and justifiably so. It's a great article. Well done, Tom. You can follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is the bottom of that article, and it informs to some extent today's discussion on Podemos, the insurgent party of Spain's radical left, as we survey again the terrain of Europe after the crisis, James. So right before I pass over to you, I just want to talk about a few things. What well, uh, we, we've talked so many times about yeah, the failure of social democracy, the demise of social democratic parties. This is increasingly hot because Spain will have general elections at some point in the next 12 months. They have to have their next general elections before December 2015. So Podemos, the party we're discussing today, is a genuine contender for power in the next 12 months. They're saying some pretty interesting things. Similarly, uh, Syriza in Spain are calling for elections in Greece as soon as next February. Now, that's not likely, but they're going to again have to have their next general elections before the the middle of 2016 so it's possible before the sort of in the next 18 months we're going to see two radical left parties really going for it into you know eurozone economies okay so podemos we're talking about them because of course tom youngman who's living in madrid right now wrote a great article about them but also particularly because there was a poll an opinion poll that came out in spain this sunday showing podemos on 27.7 percent that's first they are top. Second was the PSOE, the Spanish sort of socialist party, the Social Democrats, uh, 26.2%. Then the Partido Popular, the party of government, on 20.7%. So, Podemos are first. Uh, a lot of interesting things for me about Spain, in particular after the crisis, particularly the absence of a far-right electorate, despite a massive change in the ethnic composition of the country in the last 20 years. Actually, it's unprecedented in Europe. So, James, before we talk about, I suppose, Spain, Labour, the state of the European left. Your thoughts on Podemos? <laughs> well, uh, isn't that a <laughs> wide variety of exciting topics to talk about? Um, yeah, obviously, I, I, one seems to have to have something to say about Podemos right? <laughs> these days. This is the new and exciting thing. Um, I'm, I'm interested, in fact, like, uh, I mean, you were joking earlier, of course, that, that 
that you know of course the, this uh, essay we've been hosting uh, has been tweeted out by UK and Cart, by Occupy Wall Street, and by uh, uh, Russell Brand's Myrmidon Johan Hari. Um, the the wasn't wasn't Suzanne Moore kind of uh, they've actually had lawyers sent Hawaii for saying that there's there's no there's the oh it's true it's, it's true. absolutely I mean, true okay Russell, no I mean Russell Brand's um, I mean Russell Brand's Myrmidon it doesn't suggest that he completely goes to the book it just suggests that he's a producer on his YouTube show and has his sort of rather slimy tentacles involved in other branches of Russell Brand's publicity tour um, the, the <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm sort of digressed um, what what you know there there is something interesting about this right which is okay these are constituencies to which uh, um, uh, the rise of Podemos appeals and these are like relatively different uh, entities right I mean Johan Hari is sort of fallen doyen of the sort of uh, reactionary left um, you can't can sort of street movement that drew together you know the very first waves in fact of uh, visible resistance in uh, under the, the the current coalition government under you know the, the influx of austerity and then occupy wall street uh, a movement that sort of positioned itself certainly in in very similar way to to the uh, predecessors and antecedents of Podemos so uh, the Indignados movement and the um, uh, 15M the 15M yeah yeah uh, uh, so, so these are these are relatively different organisations who nonetheless find something interesting here, right? Which is, you know, and, and it will be for various reasons. For I assume on 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 the one hand that 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 it's uh, an organisation that appears uh, legible in terms of sort of the the way in which left parties are historically supposed to operate, right? So, so one of the complaints that that's historic that has been made over the course of uh, austerity within Europe um, has been that uh, there has been sort of no electoral force, nothing uh, uh, that can intervene in, in terms of sort of formal politics. Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's an organisation that is attempting to stay true to, uh, or seems to be or claims to be attempting to stay true to uh, sort of nominally uh, grassroots, hor- as horizontalist as possible, uh, uh, in inverted commas, democratic uh, uh, ways of Organizing, mm-hmm. um, and and perhaps you can <laughs> you can say a little more about the the ways in in, in which Podemos claims to be doing that. Um, so so there's obviously the, these qualities that appeal across a relatively broad range of of left political perspectives, from sort of um, radical liberalism to social democracy to sort of horizontalist anarchism to to people who are involved in in in, in certainly in, in parts of social movements. One of the things um, uh, 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 Youngman's essay points out is that that for, for all the claims about sort of Podemos' relationships to social movements, they 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 seem uh, relatively tentative or, or reluctant to, to to absolutely endorse Podemos as, as, as a, a force. The thing that I would say about that is that um, what people say about this depends where they come from. Yeah. Um, and so the issue of support and non-support for Podemos among the social movements is com- complex because some claim it, it, there is an absolute support, some claim there is none. Um, but but isn't this, I, I think, kind of always the way, right? Because because social movements are mixed. They're going to be composed of people who are more or less sympathetic to electoralism as a tactic. There will always be some who are soft on electoralism. There will always be some 
who are not, because the people I know in Spain are inevitably going to be those who are pretty hard on electoralism. Uh, they view Podemos with great scepticism. Um, and it's possible, of course, that they're, they're wrong to do so, although I suspect they're not. Um, but, it, you know, it's also clear that people who have been involved in movements like that um, uh, are quite happily going into Podemos. So, so uh, you know, I mean, this is, this is like, imagine you, hadn't, you have an equivalent organization existing here yeah. there and so they will claim you, you know and you have people coming in from organizations like uh, UK Uncut or uh, you know uh, radical housing movements and so so you would be able to claim the support of social movements but on the other hand you know there will be people who, who are hostile to them so the, the way in which this is claimed is uh, I always find rather suspect well two things for me I mean I've got Dan Hancock's friend of the show mm-hmm. Dan hope you're listening friend of the show author and eminent journalist Dan Hancock's music and politics, very talented man. <laughs> he's, he's written on the Facebook page, Jen, and he disagrees. He says, I understand the scepticism of anti-electoralists, but this characterisation of the party departing from its activist base is just not true. The 15M activists really are the party, for now anyway. So he's not saying that the whole of the 15M, clearly 18... I mean, it's clearly not true, is 8. it? 8.5 like, I mean, million Spaniards identified... So Pablo Iglesias? Yeah. 8.5 million Spaniards identified with the 15M movement. It would only take several thousand of them to depart from it and start a new political formation, yeah. clearly. I mean, nobody's saying that this is a, this is a tacit... This is a, but, okay, so that's the first point. I think, I think there's some truth in it, but I see what you're saying. Second point is this. I think it's quite clear, even if not necessarily true, is that it's trying to present itself as possessing the same kind of networked organisational affordances of the 15M. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know... Why is that? I think there's three reasons for that. Firstly, it may well be true. May oh, or may not be yeah. true. Secondly, um, I think it's, it's the articulation of a civic ideal. Now, whether you're networked or not, you have to say you are, right? Because that's the nature of contemporary politics. Yeah. A great paradigmatic example for me was the EAN in the 2010 student movement. Oh, well, the SWP. Yeah, yeah so there's an SWP front. And you know, the SWP, classically vertical, democratic socialist organisation, very hierarchical. Take away the fact that they're rapologists and so on. That's obviously not diminishing at all. It's a hugely important thing. That's why people shouldn't really associate them as a political organisation. But if we're talking about an organisational form here, right, they're, you know, a vertical, classical vertical organisation. Some people have defended that, some people haven't for you know, a century. Classical organisational, you know, vertical organisation. And they understood that they have to articulate themselves at least as networks. So like, okay, well, we've got our kind of our youth front organisation. We have to call it the network. And you call them, I love Mark. Mark Bopo, great guy. He's no longer in the SDP. He hasn't been for a long time. He left precisely the reasons I just outlined. Um, and he would be going around and go, look, we're an activist network, Aaron. We're an educator. It's like, no, you're not. You are a classic front group. But it was about the articulation of a civic ideal of horizontalism and networks. Mm. Um, so that's the second point. Everybody has to do this even when they're not. And that... That leads on to the third point, which is this. They've only raised, I think, money. Look, money matters in politics. Money matters, whether it's parliamentary or social movements. To do stuff, you need money. You know, otherwise people have to, you know, you need money to do massive things, especially to, if you're going to run in a general election and win, you're going to need lots of money, right? Um, at the moment, they're polling first. Can that translate into outcomes where they finish first will be dependent upon, yeah, money and members, the two big things of social movement organisations. They've raised £113,000 crowdfunding to do this kind of thing, right? But 100 k big deal. You know, they're going to need mm. cash. And I actually think, you know, yes, these organisations try and articulate... The civic ideal has to be articulated in networks, you know, networks. I think also... Uh, this idea of participatory, emergent, grassroots, for me, actually, they're synonyms for 
we have no resources. We are a resource-poor organisation. Mm -hmm. PSOE does not need to say we're participatory. We've got members, we've got money, we've got branches. Yeah, we have our we have our systems, but for these people that have no resources, they say well, you kind of have to do it yourself. There's a kind of DIY element as well as aesthetic to this, mm. in so much as the media reach of these organisations is the intersecting media networks, primarily through social media, but also offline, of the people that support them and follow them and advocate for them, and they won't do that unless there is this articulation of networked and horizontal. So it feeds into the fact that they're resource poor and the fact that they have to do it is politically expedient, whether it's true or not, James. Yeah, okay. So so there's a problem here, isn't there, which is um, that, that it's not just about resources. It, it It's deeper than that. And and I think actually it's because it's deeper than that, it, it's actually more interesting than that. Um, b- because the, the question here is is about, and it's something I've, touched on on the show before uh, is anti-politics right um, and I think it would be I, I think it's interesting I think it's necessary to explore the success of something like Podemos as an expression of anti-political sentiment and and by this I mean and and you know by, by you know people who talk about this mean that 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 anti-politics is an expression of discontent with politics which is considered as a relatively confined discipline to do with the administration and governance of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of stuff that happens in Westminster. Um, now, anti-politics can take several forms, and one of which is the assertion of a wider politics against politics, uh, formal politics, mm-hmm. is a term I often use, um, that's one form in which an anti-politics can take. You would call that, I guess, a kind of constructive anti-politics. Um, there's also a nihilist anti-politics, right, which is the the sort of um, which often finds expression in parts of, say, the anonymous movement. Um, there's also a right-wing anti-politics, a reactionary anti-politics, the kind of stuff that happens um, among some of the UKIP base, among some of the the um, you know the, the the sort of these sort of xenophobic social movements. Um, so so anti-politics here is not you know it's it's neither necessarily a good or necessarily a bad thing. What it can- it's, it's politically and morally neutral is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm saying it's it's politically neutral in and of itself. Yeah. What I would suggest is that it is certainly fertile terrain for uh, uh, left movements and certainly for communist movements because communist movements uh, will will say certain things about the way in which formal politics is conducted, which is precisely that it, that you know it operates partly as mystification, it operates partly as a kind of um, uh, uh, alienation from from the way in which um, society functions. Uh, so. Nominally, or at least apparently, uh, anti-politics should be fertile terrain for the left. Uh, this is not actually something that much of the Trotskyist or, or sort of Euro-communist left understands, because largely they're composed of political experts, people who have been within the organised left for many, many decades. Uh, and and you know this this goes this is you know and I don't you know, necessarily want to do down a lot of the work that people people in those movements have done within unions in terms of wedging defensive struggles over the years. But but one of the reasons they find communication with this stuff difficult is is that you know they are invested in a certain kind of rational politics that, that that does meet a sort of uh, resistance here mm. um and so so I, mean, I don't want to, to dwell on this too long um but but that you know i think one of the sparks behind the podemos stuff it is precisely that they express themselves in in terms of this sort of um uh, you know the people versus the caste mm. um right no um, not even the people 
Uh, people. Yeah, I mean this 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 fair people is too class based. Yeah, I mean the, yeah, the, yeah Webber yeah. is too political for them. Um yes, that that's that's I mean let's be precise about this. Occasionally you will find people aligned to Podemos using that term yeah. Pueblo. Okay. But usually it's uh, uh gente. Yeah. Um right gente. like gente. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the Italian Renaissance scholar yeah, in I'm so yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm a Latinist. I'm also <laughs> like um most of the people um I know who speak Spanish to South American where, where it's it's often actually slightly different. Yeah, well Argentine's uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's got a lot of Italian. But kind of. but, but so, so yeah, so this stuff, this stuff happens, right? Yeah. Like, so, so there is an anti-political spark here, which is one of the reasons that that, that Potemus is is negotiating some really tricky ground, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, attempting to to draw on that and find a way that that it can be politically expressed in a mass organisation that is participating in a political system, and yet is attempting to call out a sort of. Uh, 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 endemic corruption uh, within it, right? Which is that that it doesn't really matter which party gets in in Spain because they more or less do the same thing and are more or less composed of the same people. Um, So, I mean, and, you know, this this is really, really visible in the way in which the political establishment reacted to the movements of of the squares in, in, in 2011. That was very, very clear. Um, so, so this is this is you know I think a problem for them, and it's going to become more and more of a problem because the, the number of people who are uh, involved and very prominent within Podemos, not least its leader, um, mm. who are sort of political experts and who, for all their rhetoric and for all their commitment to sort of left, you know, left sounding <laughs> ideals, mm. and and you know they, they are. You know, nonetheless, part of this cast, and what, perhaps they're, the political they're, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, which is you know, <laughs> which you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, like yeah, James, you know, I'm a political scientist. Well, you know, I mean, you know, but I'm not sure that that's entirely uh, not true. But it's you know, it's as true of me as it is of you, certainly. Um, uh, so you know, one has to be careful here in saying that that. That this movement is of uh, a homogeneous or a homogeneous character. Um, I, I mean, so essentially, what I'm saying here is that, that that there is going to be a tension, and and I'm, I'm I guess we'll, we'll come to that in a in a bit. What I before I hand back to you is what I want to say really is is to do exactly with what you've said about the way in which um, Podemos is using language. Right, which is this the the, the retreat from the traditional language uh, of the left, the traditional colours of the left, uh, right? Which is which seems like a very small thing, but this deliberate uh, um, choice to avoid uh, the connection with. Uh, any kind of history of the workers' movement, any kind of history uh, of social struggles uh, before, say, 2011, mm. um, right? So the the choice not to use, you know, red as a colour, then the choice not to to speak in the the, the typical language of mm. uh, the way in which social grievance has been expressed. Mm. Um, now, this has something to do with with Spain's very particular history, but it, it's it's also, you know, I think quite a dangerous choice or a choice that 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 will have impact, um, or, you know, on the direction of of, of travel, mm. um, and and this is you know, and this is why I, I have said you know before, and I, I will say again, there are two problems that confront populist movements like this, um, and maybe we can talk about the term populist and what that might mean. Um, that there are two problems that confront. One is like um, that. Uh, uh, any sort of protest against um, corruption yeah. uh, or, or something like that, regardless of, of one's intention going in, into it, is always better articulated from the right than it is from the left because because the right um, can talk about 
um, corruption as as you know merely a, a, a matter of needing to to replace individuals. The left has to talk about it systemically. It has to talk about the way in which uh, you know certain cultures and certain structures are set up for corruption. So so for the right, it's much much easier to personalise and much much easier to, to articulate that way. Uh, it's also much easier to to find. Um, uh, 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 a stigmatized group to blame it on, right? The right is something the right is very, very good at. It's visible, certainly, in what UKIP is doing here. Um, the other thing to say is, like, the, is 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 what uh, what you struggle for, uh, you know, as um, as a movement like this. And this is always, always visible in the stuff that people start talking about. You know, so this, this kind of sort of struggle for real democracy, uh, this struggle for. Uh, against sort of uh, you know self-interest and corruption, but for a real democracy, without any kind of political articulation of what that might actually mean. Now, Podemos has taken a significant step beyond this, mm. but it remains a present danger, uh, and certainly it will remain a danger as it starts to contend elections. And it, it will, it, I assume, uh, and I think is quite likely, it will it will start to see a tension emerge between its leadership and its base, yep. but also between the class elements that compose it. Mm. Uh, and I think th- those are the two real real dangers that we have here. I want to talk about... Uh, I want to respond to those points. Uh, I also want to talk about this this meme of the cast. Uh, I think you can probably... Its genesis is probably Italy with Grillo. Um, and he talks about La Casta. You know, he talks mm. about, you know, an Italian... Uh, you know, it's a, a specific allusion to the Italian political class. Now, I actually think it's appropriate for Italy... In a certain context, not for Spain, I'll tell you why. In Italy, after 1945, you have basically the emergence of Christian democracy. You have the Communist Party, the Socialist Party in Italy. The entire setup, the entire political establishment in Italy was based on the principle of you keep out the Communist Party, you keep out the PCI, you keep out the, the biggest Communist Party by membership in Europe, you keep them out. And that involved Italian secret services, it involved Operation Gladio, it involved the, the Americans keeping Italy and NATO. They said if we lose Italy, NATO doesn't work. So they had to keep out the Italian Communist Party. So that led to a certain kind of political establishment which said to people who participated in, the, in fascism, in the fascist regime, come back on, on side. And these were people very high up in the Italian army, the police, the secret services, commerce, you name it, they were forgiven. Um, the socialists really played along with that socialist party you go all the way then to the 1980s very intimately tied up as well of course with the mafia you go all the way up to the 1980s you have uh, Mani Pulite uh, Gracchi hugely corrupt Italian socialist party so it's very 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 easy for Italians to go the cast because mm. there was actually a political settlement in post-war Italy which is about keeping out the communist party and that was the cast yeah? and it was intimately tied up with the you know Confindustria the, the equivalent of uh, the CBI over in Italy difference being in Italy they still have bodyguards um, you know, uh, 20 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, they still walk around with guys as shooters because people were trying to assassinate them in the 1970s. You know, Italy, in terms of in terms of political antagonism in the 1970s, from 69 to 77, cannot be overstated. You know, Aldo Moro, prime minister, was kidnapped and assassinated by leftists. Yeah. It was a serious place to be. People talk about May 68 in France. Let's talk about 69 in Italy. Um, so I think the casta means something in, in, in Italy. It means something in the Italian consciousness. And Grillo has taken it and he's run with it. But in Spain, the casta, I think, is... To, to, to sort of think of these as two things you can go appropriate this, right? Because actually, in Spain, Franco dies in 75. The transition to democracy, liberal democracy, quote-unquote, 
sort of 78, the first elected government nominally leftist leftist, leftist government the PSOE in 1982 the PSOE were the harbinger they were the emblem of liberal democracy now I don't like the PSOE since the crisis they've collaborated in austerity they are a pro you know they're a pro capital party yes but to sort of say that oh yeah the PSOE are equivalent to a kind of post phalangist Partido Popular who did collaborate with fascism yeah before 75 a lot of these people a lot of these elements did yeah and then say the PSOE exactly the same as these people, I think it's kind of silly. I think it's kind of myopic, and it's actually quite distinct to what happened in Italy uh, after, after sort of the decline of fascism. So I think that meme is a strange one. Uh, and, you know, just as we, have, we, do have, we do have a political establishment in this country, it's wholly different to, I think, this term of la casta. For me, in Britain, when I think about the establishment, I'm thinking about a landowning interest. I'm thinking about something that actually precedes capitalism. I'm talking about, you know, the Duke of Marlborough and how that's imbricated with the Duke of Westminster and landowning interest, and land ownership and finance capitalism and, you know, the lack of government, sort of democratic governance with regards to city London. Very unique thing if you talk about the establishment. I don't like Owen's... Owen's definition of it, but you know, let's have a discussion about that. But yeah, but that's clearly distinct from what they mean by la casta in Spain in Italy. Corruption. So you're saying it's more advantageous for the right than the left. Again, I would see this as a neutral terrain. I think a kind of easy emotional response, yeah, clearly the right can take off that. If you, you know, you know, it's like, you know, it's just endemic to human beings, human nature. Therefore, these people are corrupt. We have to replace them with people who aren't corrupt. But the left, I don't see why the left can't say, look, Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So that then gives you a structural analysis for um, critiquing and hopefully moving beyond the idea that people have power. Mm. So look, it does corrupt them, power does corrupt them. And actually, when you say that to people, they do, they do tend to agree. They go, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much a kind of, a sort of, you know, uh, that's a kind of a priori statement. Triangles have three sides, power corrupts, you know. I think people generally buy that. James, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, it, but the next step is to talk about is, of course, that there are also certain inevitabilities to yeah. the way that, that human beings uh, socialise and, and govern themselves, which is a rather more difficult argument to have. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so I guess the thing to come to here is is to talk um, I want to talk about charisma as well, by yeah, the way. I don't okay, want to forget so, this. So, Go on. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. So, so yeah, they're, they're, so I mean, so yeah, let's talk about this this um, this 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 guy, the the leader of Podemos, yeah. right, and and his emergence, Pablito, Pablito Iglesias. Yeah, um, who is uh, uh, an academic um, and sort of commentator who has sort of turned. I mean, you know, in in one sense, this must be like the Owen Jones wet dream, isn't sounds it? Familiar, like, yeah. um, but you know, it, it, <laughs> who has become the head of a, a sort of popular movement. Um, in which there there are tensions, right? And yeah. so, so the, I guess like, and so this is where you see one of the um, legacies of Bolivarian socialism and the dependence of, of this kind of uh, leftism on a powerful and charismatic leader who embodies um, certain virtues and certain ideals. Um, I, I I have some scepticism as to this and I, I you know I actually think we should probably dedicate a show in the near future to, to discuss Latin America and have uh, and bring in a couple of people to talk about yeah. this kind of stuff because because the legacies here are complex and they're certainly not as uh, uh, universally bright and wonderful as, as some people like to make them out to be. They're also like non-negligible, right? I mean, you know, uh, uh, sanitation, uh, uh, literacy, like, you know, these are like really profound uh, social advancements. And, and, you know, those of us who are uh, anti-authoritarian communists have to come to 
to deal to deal with that in a proper way right um we might however also talk about uh you know <laughs> exchanging one kind of miserable labor for a kind of miserable labor for the state um you know for the social good but one's life of course doesn't quite change um so so there are that you know and there's and there's questions about urbanization and, and you know, indigenous social movements and stuff like that i, I and I, this is a very truncated uh, uh question here so i'm going to park it for the time being um, so you have this, this, uh, the, the legacy of sort of uh, uh, someone who has studied the way in which social movements emerge in Latin America and has quite consciously, I think, uh, attempted to emulate that, that sort of uh, chavismo, um, that, that sort of uh, uh, Latin American socialism. Um, it has certainly been some controversy, uh, as um, certainly among people I know and, and people who have been sort of, you know, peripherally involved in, in the establishment of Podemos about the, this decision to put um, this guy's face um, on the ballot paper for, for Podemos. And, you know, there, there are certain arguments made about, the, you know, people recognise him but don't recognise the name of the party, et cetera, et cetera. Do you want the data on that? Um, 50% of Spanish yeah, voters recognise his face, 10% recognise Podemos by name. So in terms of brand recognition, Pablo, Yeah, great, but then... Pablo then but this, yeah, OK, but then, then, so, like, but then the question is, like, I, you know, what kind of movement are you trying to build? I'm, I'm just stating I mean, that. Yeah, no, I know, but the, 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 these statements are... are <laughs> these statements are implicit political aren't they yeah. because the kind of politics that emerges from certainly <laughs> certainly in 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 western europe from strongman leaders is not has not well, historically anywhere, been a particularly right? yeah has not been uh, historically a, a great thing yeah. now i mean th- th- there are also t- to my mind rather more difficult questions in, in terms of like the integration here uh, one is the the um the the uh, importation of various sort of uh, expert political consultants like um and I'm going to mispronounce this name, Jorge Vestringa, Vestringe, I, I don't know. Some, someone will doubtless c- correct me. Don't worry. Um, they do but, it in my French, James. But, they can do it with your Spanish. <laughs> Come on. But he's, he's the, the, the former leader of the sort of post-Francoist Popular Alliance. He's been a member of the PSOE, an advisor to, to the, the PCE, um, uh, you know, the Venezuelan military as well. Um, so he, he, he wants to deport migrants from Spain. Um, so he's sort of uh, hovering around the edges of... Um, of this leadership here as a, a consultant, um, so he, he's 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 certainly involved. Um, you you do have like this question of like uh, the tension and the, the emergent tension, I think, and it's going to become a more obvious tension over time uh, between what are called the the circles, um, which are the local branches. Mm. Of Podemos, these sort of local assemblies, um, and uh, the leadership on the one hand, and the sort of dispersed digital membership as well, who yeah. are often like only the members, yeah, who aren't really yeah, members, yeah. 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 Um, so, and the tension between like how these movements should be constituted, and it, I think it's actually really going to be uh, an obvious tension between people who come out of. A, a classical left tradition who will say all power to the circles mm-hmm. um, you know this is clearly you know the model for for the kind of way that you would seize power or, or and particularly avoid um, you know being completely screwed by your leadership which is to um, you know, disperse uh, constitutive power in that way between the, these local assemblies and those who are more interested in uh, you know uh, leapfrogging that process and intervening into the political process, and therefore, um, you know, saying certain power should be accorded to the leadership, or uh, and then you are going to have, I think, this conflict um, 
between classical leftists and people who are from a more heterodox position and who are looking at the role of uh, these digital members, right, and how, how that might work. Uh, so, so there's going to be, I, I guess, a series of, of complex tensions here. Uh, and, you know, I, I think these shouldn't be underplayed. I think there's, for me, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to respond to this and I want to talk about charisma. Mm. I think Spain, look, clearly, clearly the major cleavish, cleavage in the capitalist society is class. Obviously. But I think we should not neglect in Spain the huge importance of regionalism and age, mm-hmm. demographics by age. And so in terms of both voting preferences, but also just basic political principles, these are huge factors. Yes, yeah, so you have class, clearly the dominant one, because you live in a capitalist class is the big one. But in a country where I think, what, 45% of under 30 are unemployed... Age is huge in terms of mm. your politics. Um, and yeah, regionalism is massive as well. I mean, that's the thing, you know, hopefully as we progress, we'll talk about a few conclusions. Um, you do have, with regards to what's going on in Catalonia, another great article up in Navarra Wire by David Ferreira, interview with the spokesperson from the CUP in Catalonia. They had their referendum last Sunday, informal referendum. I think nearly two million people turned out, overwhelmingly in favour of independence, Catalan independence. So you have something similar in Scotland and this country. So austerity since 2008 has overwhelmingly led to energised anti-union sentiment, <clears throat> anti-union political formations, right? P- primarily the SNP. Um... But it hasn't led to the equivalent of Podemos at the level of Westminster. I want to talk about that later on as we conclude. I think that's really significant. That ties into what I like to talk about so much, political opportunity structure. Uh, We'll talk about that. That's a very sort of wonky thing to say. I do want to talk about less wonky, charisma, because I know that you're... Not a fan of political charisma, James. I mean, this is an old, this is an old topic. You know, it goes back all the way to Max Weber. You know, charisma in politics, and I mean, it's a, it's kind of historically been associated with the right. It has been, you know. Mm. Um, I question if that's necessarily, you know, the case. But if you look at the role of sort of post-crisis political formations, John Gnarr in Iceland, Grillo in Italy, these people all, all have dreadful politics, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, that is quite important. That's, a, that's observable. Now, that's an observation. That's not a criticism. That's a really objective sense of a conversation. They have dreadful politics. John Gnar in Iceland, um, Brand, obviously, in the UK. Clearly, he's not as bad as Gnar, actually, Brand. You know, he does do things like they had this march recently to the New Era state. You know, Gnar would not do that kind of thing. You know? um, John Gnar, Russell Brand, and then you go all the way to like Farage with UK, Marine Le Pen. Since so, there's been a, there has been, I think, a, a return of charisma to politics. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? Because uh, I don't know. I've never seen this guy, Pablo Iglesias, in an interview. I don't know how he doesn't look particularly charismatic. I mean, he looks like kind of like a. It kind of looks like an interesting synthesis of a policy wonk and an indignado, you know, with the ponytail and then the mm. white shirt with the sleeves rolled up. You know, he looks like a kind of Athnar speechwriter meets some kind of like a sort of bar back in some Hoxton bar from Barcelona. You know, he's. Uh, he looks like a kind of interesting mix in that respect. So what's your, what's your thoughts on charisma and their relationship to the newer political formations post-crisis, both the ones that resemble institutional parties, the Front National, UKIP, but also these newer ones, Gnar, Grillo, and now Iglesias? Well, I mean, snake oil salesmen aren't a new thing, right? I mean, like, I, I guess, like, okay, 
This is not an easy topic to talk about because the because charisma is is not a meaningful thing unless you define it quite precisely. Okay, I will. Yeah, I mean Weber. Weber when he talks about political charisma, yeah. he actually says the beginning for him of political charisma is the communist movement, and he talks about an otherworldly nature to their politics. And he says, when I see these working men and women on their marches on May Day with their red flags, these are not. Yes, they want an eight-hour working day. Yes, they want more money. Yes, they want less pay. Um, less hours, more pay. <laughs> God, Jesus Christ, listen to yeah. Yes, they want all of these things. But he was saying, with the colours, with the chants, the calls, the solidarity, this is otherworldly. Yeah. And then he says that this charisma is an otherworldly quality uh, which intervenes into the everyday political process. Yes. And so this is different in kind to mm. the kind of charisma that one might talk about that is possessed by... Agnar and Iglesias. Yeah, I mean, that's shambolic compared and, to obviously the workers' movement in the but, 19th century. But that's, yeah. but that's the point, isn't it? That that is a collective charisma, right? I mean, it's it's something. It's it's the power of a collective belief that that unites people in in you know in in a movement that goes beyond them personally, that is yeah. beyond personal interest, that is something that that, that transcends that. And you know, and the danger here is is to think that that. Uh, you can do a kind of uh, uh, cart horse inversion, right? Is that, you know, say the, the extension of the Weberian model of charisma is that it finds expression in uh, uh, certain characters sometimes, Feti- right? So, a fetish object, yeah, like yeah, a person, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Hitler. Yeah. Um, like Hitler or like Lenin. Yeah. Um, so, so this is a, a thing that happens, right? Yeah. Um, so, but you can't do it in reverse, right? And I also think that, you know, that there's some flaws to that analysis. Um <coughs> You can't do it in reverse. You can't uh, uh, create Russell or have Russell Brand arrive and then... With his army of lawyers. Uh, with his army of lawyers, <laughs> indeed. Um, and then sort of create a movement or, or hope that a movement uh, arrives around him, right? Like, uh, you know, the, 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 this sort of, um, you know, it, it's always going to be, uh, you know, rather imbued with the... the, the uh, the personal predilections and peccadillos of it's a peccadillo. uh, uh, the sort of that's a Spanish word, James. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an English loan word. Yeah, um, it, what does it mean? It, it, it's the the particular strange or idiosyncratic preferences um, of uh, of a, a, a particular individual. Yeah. Um, so so you know you can't do this in verse. You can't like. Uh, have uh, you know a Russell Brand or a, a you know, individual charismatic speaker and hope that you know uh, people will arrive around them and will be empowered by their existence. This relationship is all yeah. wrong, well, of right? Of course, we've been saying like, this for years. Yeah, right? I yeah. mean, but th- this is like again, like I, we made this critique last year and we'll make it again, and I will go on making it. Is that like you cannot create a movement from a top table, right? Like I mean, this is a, a thing that people continue to fail to understand um and if you want to talk about charisma you know i you know then i'm going to talk about the countless people that i have been genuinely inspired by none of whom i see sitting on question time none of whom i see but they have on the charisma news. so um, it isn't you're saying but, it is but, but then but then charisma in, in that general and sort of um uh uh, uh, uh demotic or or uh uh popular sense which is slightly distinct from you know what you know what people say when they mean charisma in, in that Weberian sense anyway like I think we're getting off topic here because I, I mean I don't this I, 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 fine okay because there's a great book I can't remember the author it's about the black civil rights movement 1960s and the, you know all the first wave of accounts of the black civil rights movement 
always focused on leaders and how great they were and how great the organizations were. And that's because a lot of the data was collected via interviews with these leaders, right? So that was quite clearly why they had those conclusions. Second generation literature then interviews the kind of sort of the, the member base. And actually, there's some interesting literature that comes out in that second wave about the black civil rights movement. It talks about the absolute centrality of um, the under-examined centrality of black women in the civil rights movement uh, working as what they call network bridges. So these informal network builders cross-class, between you know, black working class and middle classes, across states, across churches, and it was these women with high social capital who were basically popular... Yeah, who were helping create the black civil rights movement and the kind of these kind of the density of networks needed for any successful social movement. Um, great, another great article called "The Last Ride of Paul Revere." Paul Revere was the guy who kind of goes, "The, the British are coming," you know, the, the American, beginning of the American Revolution. And Paul Revere goes on this ride, alerting people. I think as the British marched to Lexington, saying the British are coming. And there's a great study that says he all the it looks at the people he talks to. He alerts. You know, one's a kind of publishing house, one's a you know, cler- clergyman, one's a very popular sort of drunkard or something. And it says, this is in microcosm, the American Revolution, and how, how, how much of a cross-class coalition it was. These are the kinds of people that he was going to. And saying, Paul Revere is the kind of classic activist, you know, it's kind of retrospective use of certain terms, certain analytical terms, because he had high social capital. And he was able to bridge heterogeneous groups quite effectively uh, successful social movements always need those they always need those and i think a synonym for that is charisma uh, and it's like exactly like the people you're defining and i do agree with you that there's a zero there's a zero something almost in a certain respect because precisely those people feel disempowered when you have the iglesias when you have the Gnar, when you have the brand i don't think that those people feel empowered i entirely agree with you that's a topic for another show in it charisma Look, we've and got its abuses. I mean, and, yeah, and its abuses, and this is what I mean. This is the, one Clearly. of the things to like talk about, and like um, possibly not when we're on air because uh, uh, Mr. Brand is so litigious these days. Um, but um, I mean, we, uh, sorry, I just want to say we've got twenty minutes left. Let's get some. Let's get some clear thing. Listen yeah, I mean, to Navara FM here on Resonance one hundred four point four FM, London. James, sorry. Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess one of the, the things to say is like we're not interested in Podemos simply because it, it is an interesting new formation in like the way that politics happens in like an abstract sense. Yeah. We're interested in it because. People keep saying, oh, well, this is a model for people in the UK to emulate, right, um, in one way or another. Uh, and and quite what that means, well, I mean, that, that usually means, like, um, join my organisation or subscribe to my party or, or whatever. But, but, but if we take it in its best sense, then, it, I mean, it, it, it's partly, I, I guess... Uh, an expression of a, 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 an expression of a desire that is born of absence, right? You know, people look at Spain and go, like, how is it that that you know an organisation has emerged there when it hasn't here? What that's is not, that's the, not Tom Youngman's conclusion? I mean, is no, it? no, 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 no. I know, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, but like, this is no, this is a, a, a general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's something that happens there. You have people going like, oh, you know, this is typical of the English left to sort of chase after the, the fashionable new thing elsewhere, right? Like long after the, the, the horse has bolted. Um, it, it's just embarrassing, really, isn't it? Um, but the, the I, I mean, I, I, in one sense, I think actually this, this leads us to ask questions about um, uh, revolution and reform, right? Mm. Uh, but on the other, it, it, you know, it, it does also, you know, uh, it should lead us to ask questions about like why um, no generalized social movement has 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 uh, evolved in the UK 
even when people thought it would, uh, and and look, I mean, you know, listeners will remember that when this government came in, there were huge predictions and predictions on part of the sort of bafflingly, eternally optimistic Trotskyist left that we were finally going to see the end of the downturn, that we were going to, you know, that the, 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 uh, the, the struggle was really going to hot up. We were going to see sort of generalised opposition. People were going to occupy all their workplaces and, you know, it's all going to be terribly exciting. That didn't happen. The Occupy movement happened with its sort of bizarre slide into, you know, a conspiracy theory and, you know, the sub-Julian Assange nonsense. Um, and so, uh, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to, I guess, like, ask why. Why it is that, that it seems impossible here to, to, you know, articulate a movement in that way? One, I think, is to do with the Labour Party and the existing structure of, of the Labour movement in this country. And, and, and that it's not that there's a huge wave of social struggle waiting to happen, but the, 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 the feeling is that there is something profoundly ossified here. And so one might think that, that, that this is actually kind of quite fertile ground for something similar to Podemos to emerge. Yeah. I mean, look, since 2010, a lot's happened in the UK. You had you had that wave of protest only six months long, yes. You then have the riots. So you clearly have a massive wave of contentious politics about a year long. And the riots have no, you know, they have no analogue in Spain. You know, uh, that is a contentious episode. That's huge. You then have the emergence of UKIP. Look, people forget UKIP last general election, they got 3.5%. You know, they are now looking at over a dozen MPs in the next general election. Mm-hmm. The SNP in the last general election got six seats. They are now polling 59% in Scotland. You know, so I think for me, this ties into uh, a couple of things. I mean, people talk about the kind of the, the success, the relative success of the 15M compared to the relative weakness of Occupy in the UK. I think a lot of that, it boils down to kind of, you know, the, the contextually specific. So why has the SNP proved so successful in the context of austerity? While we had nothing similar south the border. For me, it's about, again, I say political opportunity structure. There's Holyrood. There are elections to Holyrood. They are proportional representation in terms of their, how you get elected there. That, we have nothing like that in England. You know what? If we did, maybe we would actually have a far-right government. I'm not saying that. But clearly there would have been a bigger and quicker breakup of the two-party system, which is happening anyway here in England. It's happened in Scotland. It's gone. Uh, poll out, I think, at the weekend showed uh, Labour on 16, the Conservatives on 12%, and Lib Dems on 5%. So you've got three parties of the 20th century on, like, 35%. I mean, that's astonishing. You know, that's absolutely astonishing. I want to talk about, yeah, this is my point here, <clears throat> the kind of success of, excuse me, <clears throat> The success of Podemos um, shows a few things for me. It shows the speed with which these things can scale. I mean, this was literally found in January 2014. They can scale incredibly quickly. Two, the interactions between digital, new and old media and the hybrid media system. So this guy, Iglesias, one minute he's on YouTube, the next minute he's on the biggest ever interview on a mainstream media channel ever, you know. Um, But also that formal and political institutions matter. Um... I think in the UK, I said before the show, I think you, you, you don't necessarily agree with me. I think in the UK, if we had portrait representation, if we had STV, the same electoral system they have in, uh, I think it's, it's the European elections we use STV, isn't it? Single transferable vote. If, if we had something like that for the general elections in this country, I think the Lib Dems in 2010 would have polled higher than Labour. They got 25%, Labour got 29%. I think they would have polled higher than Labour. They may even have come first. If they hadn't have come first, I still think there would have been opinion polls in the week before the general election saying the Lib Dems are on 40%. These kind of Podemos-esque style opinion polls would have come out because a lot of people don't vote. First past the post, they don't vote for the Lib Dems because look, look, I'm, I'm from Bournemouth. I'm you know from a very blue part of the world. I've had three mates tell me 
Labour voters, I'm voting Tory at the next general election to keep out UKIP. That's how the electoral system works over here. And that really excludes so many people. And I think if we had a different electoral system, Clegmania would have actually been far, far, far bigger. I mean, they, wouldn't, they maybe would have got twice as many seats, at least. You know, But I actually think they would have probably polled in percentage points, maybe first, definitely second. That's my, that's my take. Second point is this. I just want to say how these things we're talking about, Gnar, Farage, Front National, Syriza even. One point is, of course, the changed context of austerity, changed opportunity structure. I think a second point is, is the technological contingency and the reduced cost of political participation with digital media. That's another topic. That's my PhD, essentially. The cost of entry for these guys to do politics now is a lot lower. Arnold Schwarzenegger wants to be the governor of California. What did he do? He joined the Republican Party. I can promise you in 10 years' time, if a celebrity of his stature wants to be governor of California, they won't be joining a political party. That's what's changing. Um, and they'll be, you know, they'll be kind of a kind of, and that's why I think charisma, discussions of charisma, are so important because we're moving back to an individual-centric political system rather than a party political system. James. Yeah, but that, that that shift actually isn't inevitable. And I think, you know, so it's observable. It's a trend that's yeah, observable, James. Yeah, yeah. that's the inference. Yeah, but so so, what matters to me here is not, you know, the, the point is not that I disagree with you about what would have happened had we had a different electoral system than the last. No, but you, that's, your answer, that's my but, answer to your but, question, James. Yeah, but no, but but that's not an answer. You're saying why is it not I'm saying. We've but, got a different election no, system. No, but the, 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 <laughs> the question here is that, is, is that I don't think that really matters. The, what matters to me is what movements like Podemos actually do. And the, the other, the thing we haven't talked about here is Syriza, really. Mm. Because, you, you know, you see Syriza now probably closing in on power. I mean, it's going to happen. Um, they, will, they will certainly be a substantial force um, in, in the next Greek government. Next 18 months, um, they're going to probably come first in the next election, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, that means and with the sort of kind of historical inevitability that happens in these circumstances, you have uh, Tsipras saying, oh, well, actually, maybe we won't tear up the bailout agreement. We're going to be responsible, actually, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So as Syriza comes closer to power, it bottles the kind of things that people have been sort of hoping that they would do when they reach power in the first place. Mm. So the question for me is not about, you know, uh, just about, rather, sort of the democratic structures, but it's about whether these are methods that can actually achieve uh, what we want. Uh, and and that question seems to me much more open and, and yeah. much less determined than than is clear. So, so yeah, I mean, what do they do? What do they achieve? And in one sense, this is the question largely about the old distinction between revolution and reform. Uh, and I guess we owe it to ourselves to 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 put these questions in the best way possible. Like these objections, which come uh, sort of in two kinds. Like one is that the distinction no longer obtains, right? That we're all reformists now, um, which is to say, whatever one's larger commitments in the scheme of things the immediate concern of virtually all political organisation is now to protect what little advantage we still have uh, and then therefore sort of wrest control of the direction of reform away from our enemies and revolution whatever that may mean it, it, it may be something whether one approves of or disapproves of or whatever, but it's so far away that real work today makes it largely an irrelevant matter, right? Um, so so that political work must therefore take the form of participation in meliorist institutions, representation, cross-class efforts at reform. Uh, and this is all the more so because of like the various endogenous features of contemporary capitalism, which makes it all the more urgent, particularly sort of climate change, um, stagnation of you know, real wages and so on and so on, uh, growth of sort of debt culture and whatever. I, I, the other form of this argument, of course, is to say that revolution is by and large a meaningless term for an era of politics profoundly different to this one, uh, that its premise is from an era of development different to, to, to our contemporaries. Uh, and, and the real revolutionaries today, of course, are, are you know, given that we have won formal representation and absolute equality before the law, uh, you know, real revolutionaries will be participating in this or that form of government. And this, I guess, is also a form of 
and kind of liberal argument that 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 says popular struggles of the past have been noble and valid, and their use of forceful tactics or destruction or whatever uh, you know, have been have been legitimate in their context. But struggles of today mustn't use these tactics because you know we now have a perfect method of making change. Or who says that? Though? Yeah, you know, I mean this is a common argument Smoke, against an ever against, diminishing uh, part of the commentariat says no, that. Seems to me. I mean, the, what the entire political establishment? No, no, it's getting smaller by the. I mean, it's clearly it's clear that it's clearly the default position. Of course, it is. I'm not saying they're saying let's have a revolution but clearly there's an ever smaller it's ever declining they know that we know that politicians are having declining trust you know you've got polarisation and party politics not just in Europe but you know, globally really who, who says that yeah but people want to re-establish or revivify this kind of this system and rather they, than sort of overturn it right? so, I mean, so the question the, the question of representation is not um, in play as much as those as I, I would love it to be but I don't think it is mm. but in order to be sort of, and I think actually we owe it to ourselves, and I think it's important to be generous about these kind of critiques because I think they're actually based in some in things that are actually you know true. Mm. One is that you know, revolution and certainly of the of the classical kind uh, has never seemed further off. That seems pretty clear certainly here um you know the historical predicate of the revolution is the industrial working class um which is you know if if it ever really existed in 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 why in, are you referring to this we yeah, know this is yeah, crap yeah, yeah we, our but, listeners but, know this is no crap. no but we, this is 2014 worth, worth saying these things because they because they did a show on they, this no but, 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 but like, what is your objection to me to my saying this i'm not I'm, at all but, it's, but we, we've got but, yeah go but, on but so you have you have also like the, these diminishing i wish that i wish that were true okay fine a bunch of Anyway, uh, yeah. um, so you know you have this diminished sphere of the industrial proletariat, like, you know whether it's especially fixed or whatever. Um, you, differing technological environments, expansion of the political sphere on the one hand, right, to include uh, you know uh, these, these questions of social reproduction, mm. um, the, the question of sort of uh, you know what gets uh, called sort of uh, identity politics, which is actually probably the most vital and important <laughs> politics we have. Um, and on, the, on, on the other hand, the ossification and reification of politics in this sort of ossified or somewhat permanent form, which is exactly that kind of uh, uh, casta uh, that, 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 that these movements are talking about. Yeah. Um, and the, his- the history of failure and destruction by the official left. Um, and, and then, of course, you do have, and I think it is true, this, 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 you know, this ever-increasing urgency of climate change, of crushing debt, of stagnation, stuff like that. But, but it seems to me that this is an argument for a revolutionary social movement, right, rather than one that attempts to make itself legible within the terms uh, of, uh, of representation and and, and sort of parliamentary procedure, right? I mean, is that not true? I was uh, happily. Yeah. For listeners, I just want to apologise. I mean, I don't know if Ofcom has a problem with the word crap. I mean, I'm sorry. My apologies. I think that's okay. It's borderline. Yeah, yeah I think it's okay. My apologies. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, look, I agree. I mean, <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, we shouldn't presume anything. You're entirely right, James. Like, I agree with you. Look, for me, in terms of a revolutionary politics, the two most important things. First, first, identity politics, quote unquote. Obviously, look, the two, look, the two, the three defining features of the 21st century for me. If you live in Britain, the island of Britain, the, the British Islands, is a geographical expression here, not a not an ethical one, right? If you live in Britain, the three defining things are: this is going to be a majority minority country this century. Uh, white mm-hmm. people are going to be a minority. Get used to it, right? You're in. Europe, look, blonde blue eyes is a recessive gene. 24th century, it's gone. Sorry. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, it's a recessive gene. That's it's more, That's how it works, right? So anyway, identity politics is clearly a big deal, right? <laughs> you know, to sort of denigrate, it's ridiculous. So, Britain, 21st century, minority-majority country. Europe, you know, 
Africa's population is doubling this century. It's doubling this century, right? And that, as we talked about last week, when synthesized with huge resource crunches, climate change, you know, these are human beings. They are going to go to places where there is work and where they can at least climactically reproduce human life, which will be north. Um, well, it'll be a variety of places. We'll have to find out. Nobody actually knows how this works out with a four-degree increase, right? It's going to be a mess, whatever happens. So for me, yeah, identity politics, which is, like you say, so frequently denigrated by these kinds of people. Yes, it's incredibly important. Then secondly, for me, it's tech. And you're talking about um, what is a meaningful uh, revolutionary social movement. I, you know, I did a video last week. I talked about fully automated luxury communism. The technology is here. The technology for a new mode of production is on its way. The hardware is here. The software, and by the software, I mean the social relations between individuals, our relationship to ecology, and our mental conceptions is not up to date. Yeah? And if you really want me to sound like one of these weird wiki government sub-Assangists, I'd say it needs a reboot. You know, yeah. it needs a reboot. I know, but it's a good metaphor, James. Huh? And that's for me, the thing about a revolutionary social movement would be, yeah, of course, new uses of technology. Uh, the understanding that fixed capital needs to be about diminishing the working week rather than increasing profit and cutting costs for capital. Yeah, and uh, identity politics. Look, we've got, we've got five minutes left, James. Some concluding thoughts. And also, I don't think the binary revolution reform is a meaningful one anyway. Never has been. Um, well, I mean, that's the point of Luxembourg's pamphlet on it, right? Isn't it that, that cool. she she suggests that um, the 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 uh, division between the two is one that's set up um, precisely to limit the tendency of reform precisely. towards revolution. Precisely, um, and 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 that I think is like really actually something that we should orient ourselves around. I mean, this is one of the things that we have to realize is true. I guess what what I want to you know what I would conclude with is is like is is to say that um, you know. <laughs> to desire to be legible in terms of parliamentary politics is is something that that brings with it very 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 clear dangers. Yeah. Um, to to desire to act from a sort of um, uh, uh, horizontal year zero, yeah. right? That you know that avoids that says history is over. There is no, there's no longer uh, a history. History begins uh, with communism. Yeah. We all know that. Um, but 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 I, until we reach that point, history exists. You know, that's pretty uh, history. And, but yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. That's a um, yeah. um, you know, so so to to make yourselves readable and understood purely in terms of, of that kind of formal process is really really dangerous because it begins to make you fail to listen uh, to those constitutive elements which uh, with which leadership is intention. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the problem that will confront Iglesias and will confront those members of Podemos which is that the more one participates in 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 you know in in parliamentary procedure and particularly sort of liberal parliamentary procedure the more you are forced to accept certain contra- compromises with what you, know, you 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 sort of want to happen so so the danger here is 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 not so much um you know a, a question of political purity um as it is sort of uh, 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 divergent interests um, you know when you're brought into to, to political uh, the political inner circle I want to say two things I think I mean we talked about look there's two shows I think relevant to today's show we talked about uh, yeah Revolution great show maybe a year ago now and then elections much more recently maybe in the last month um, there's a history that shows social movements and electoral politics mutually constitutive for better and worse um, I think that's something we're going to have to return to at some point. My, my concluding thought is this. The compromise of the 20th century of Kautsky, of the British Labour movement, are not repeatable for 
for the simple reasons of, yeah, climate change, limited resource, especially for Europe. What has Europe got? Look, it hasn't even got fossil fuels. It's got declining population. I mean, this Europe cannot, you know, Europe at the beginning of the 20th century was a different place, you know. It had uh, a whole bunch of things going on which allowed it to have these compromises uh, for labour, but which ultimately served capital. They're not repeatable. Those are, you know, the the kind of the, 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 the kind of compromises made by the labour movement in the 20th century are not repeatable. Specifically in Europe, they were historically contingent. They cannot happen again. So if we're going to be sold out, it's possible. I think we need to reconceive of how that may or may not happen because it won't be as legible. Yeah, it won't mean wage increases. Yeah, it cannot mean that, right? It cannot mean that in a globalised and globalised economy where you've got labour unit costs one tenth somewhere else. Okay, listen. We've got 30 seconds left, so I better wind up before I run away myself yet again. James Butler, as ever, you've been formidable and uh, uh, illuminating and enlightening. Thank you so much. My name's Aaron Bastani. This is Navara FM on Navara Media. Find us on navaramedia.com. This show will be up there shortly. This is Resonance 104.4 FM London. See you same time, same place next week. Bye. <laughs>